we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we are honored to have Professor Walter E. Williams. Ron, I am so excited to have Me Professor too, Williams on the show. Uh, I, this is uh, I'm, it's my birthday today, as you know. Uh, yes, and this happy is just birthday. A, Thank you. Thank you. This is just a, an absolute wonderful birthday present. And we've only got Professor Williams on for 30 minutes. So I want to jump right in. And I have to say, I spent more than 30 minutes editing down his uh, bio so that I didn't we didn't spend 15 minutes just introducing him. So this is this is my attempt to to, to do this quickly. And then we'll bring in Professor Williams. He was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also where my dad is from. Uh, Dr. Williams holds a BA in economics from Cal State University, uh, California State University, Los Angeles, an MA and PhD in economics from UCLA. He has served on the faculty of George Mason as the George M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics. From 1995 to 2001, he was department chair, also on the faculty of Temple, and is the author of over 150 publications, uh, which have appeared in scholarly journals. He's made scores of radio and television appearances, including sitting in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB network. And he writes a syndicated column that is carried by approximately 140 newspapers and websites. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Professor Walter E. Williams. Well, thank you for inviting me. We are thrilled to have you, as I said, and we want to jump right into it. And I want to ask you about... Uh, your show, Good Intentions, which I guess is now over 30 years old. I can't believe it. I do remember watching that a long, long time ago. And I, I want to ask you, do you think the situation is is better or worse? And why can't we seem to shake this good intentions versus actual outcomes paradigm that we're stuck in? Well, in, in some respects, it's uh, uh, a little bit better. Uh, one of the things I was talking about was the uh, devastating effects of the minimum wage law on uh, on low skilled people, and um, and at the, and at the time of uh, when Good Intentions came out, it was almost uh, the uh, it was almost uh, uh, blasphemy to uh, criticize the minimum wage law, but now uh, many people uh, will uh, question the uh, the minimum wage law and some of its effects. And but uh, however, I think that um, uh, one of the one of the issues that I was uh, talking about in the uh, in, in Good Intentions. And that was the effect of the welfare state, and the welfare state has been destructive to Americans in general and to black Americans uh, in particular. And that is, uh, that is, you know, if you look at poverty in the United States, uh, there, there's no more material poverty in our, in our country. Uh, what we have is poverty of the spirit. And if you look at, if you just look at the census uh, the statistics uh, of poor people in our country, uh, they're they're better off than middle than most middle class people around the world. They have, uh, I think, there's some a, a statistic like sixty four percent of poor people own one car and fourteen percent two or more. Ninety uh, some percent have uh, 
uh, cable television, uh, cell phones, uh, microwave ovens, washing machines. And uh, as a matter of fact, I've often suggested to people that uh, if, if you are unborn spirit and God uh, uh, condemns you to a life of poverty, but he says, I'll let you choose the country to be poor in, I'm very sure that most people would decide to be poor in the United States rather than anywhere else because our poor people are materially better off. But our poor people, both black and white, uh, they suffer from uh, what I call not not material poverty, but poverty of the spirit. And, and and what what is that specifically? Well, because as I mentioned on our opening before before we started recording that. Um, you know, you're, you're an inspiration to both Ron and I, and in fact, this the the name of the show, the Soul of Enterprise, is because we believe that business has this spiritual, um, not necessarily religious, but a spiritual component to it. Um, what what is spiritual poverty in your mind? Well, when I when I say uh, spiritual spiritual poverty, I mean the people engaging in self destructive behavior, uh, things like uh, uh, engaging in in criminal activity. Uh, uh, having uh, having babies before you get married, and uh, or refusing to work, and 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 this poverty of the spirit is relatively new in our country, and some of the statistics are rather dramatic, and that, that most Americans don't appreciate it, and that is today currently the illegitimacy rate among Black Americans is around seventy five percent, and among White Americans slightly over thirty percent, but in nineteen thirty eight. The illegitimacy rate among blacks was 11%, and the illegitimacy rate among whites was uh, 3%. And there's been dramatic increases in that, and, and, and that's, a, that's a destructive form of behavior. I've often suggested to people that, that the, you know, getting out of poverty, getting away from poverty, is, is fairly simple. That is, there are four or five things that you must do, and it's not rocket science, and that is... Uh, uh, if you look at the Census Department statistics, you'll, you'll, they'll bear me out. That is, uh, graduate from high school, stay away from the criminal justice system, um, don't have children until you're married, take any job that you, uh, that, that you can uh, work at. And if you look at people who can be described that way, the poverty rate is very, very low. In fact, if you look at married couples, both let's say the poverty rate among uh, among blacks in general is slightly over is right right around thirty percent. But if you look at blacks who are married, uh, the poverty rate has been in single digits over the last couple of decades, and for whites, uh, the poverty rate is something like three percent. So much of the of the poverty that we see, what this, this, the Census Department calls poverty. Is is a result of uh, people engaging in in the on, in destructive behavior, right? And it's those things that they've they've got to change about their lives to to emerge from that. And do do you think that the current the the, the current welfare regime you, it contributes to that? Right? It actually encourages those behaviors because of the the, the way that the 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 programs are structured. Oh yes, I mean that is I I think if you ask any economist, whether he's conservative or liberal. He will tell you, he will agree that if you tax something, you're going to get less of it. And if you subsidize something, you're going to get more of it. What we do and as, as a nation is that we subsidize slovenly behavior. That is, we don't make it very costly for people to engage in slovenly behavior. That is, 
uh, uh, let's say a girl at uh, 14, 15 has a baby out of wedlock, well, she doesn't bear any great costs. I mean, uh, we give her food stamps, housing, and, and welfare assistance. And then there's a social aspect to it. There, there, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in, this, in, the, in North Philadelphia, in the, in the slums of North Philadelphia, and, 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 and I'm 82 years old. And when I was a youngster, uh, the, 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 uh, once in a while a girl made a mistake and had a baby out of wedlock, very, very few at the time, she was an embarrassment to her family. Very often she was sent down south to live with her grandmother or aunt or some relative down south. Now, there's no social stigma today associated with uh, having uh, babies out of wedlock. So, if you, uh, so that's just one more of the uh, forms of encouragement that we give for people to engage in slovenly behavior. And what, what, I'm going to jump to a, so a slightly different topic, but it, but clearly still related to your work. And that is, I, I've heard you speak eloquently on your views around freedom of association and the the impact that it has for, or from a from an economic standpoint. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Well, I, I believe uh, that um, I believe that I look at it very much like I look at free speech. That is, the true test of one's commitment to free speech does not come when he allows people to be free to say those things with which he agrees. The true test comes when he allows people to be free to say those things that he finds downright offensive. The same thing with freedom of association. That is, the true test of one's commitment for freedom of association uh, comes when he allows people to associate in ways that he finds offensive. Uh, and that's that's part that's part of personal liberty. That is, for example, if if a golf club does not want to admit me because I'm black, if it's a private golf club, that's their right. I mean, they're they're free to behave that way, and uh, or the or the uh, let's say the 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 Congressional Black Caucus, if they don't want to have any any white or conservative members. Uh, that that's their right uh, because that's that's a freedom of association. That is, you have to be. You have, I mean, to, you, in other to be for freedom, to be for freedom in general, you have to be a brave person. You have to be brave enough to accept the fact that people will engage in those voluntary forms of behavior that you find despicable. Yeah, and I, I've, I've, I have this feeling. I, I really wish that we would allow this to happen because I, I would actually prefer that bigots self-identify so that I could avoid them. Oh, that's absolutely right. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting if you look at our history uh, in our country. There were there were various laws prohibiting uh, people, let's say, prohibiting blacks from going into theaters or or or, or, or restaurants or other things like this. Now, whenever you see a law on the books. I think one of your first conclusions should be is that that law is on the books because not everybody would behave according to the specifications of the law. And so when you see a law prohibiting certain things, you have to guess, well, uh, the, the law is on the books because somebody would behave that way. That is, that is I'm, su- I'm suggesting that many uh, restaurants or many theaters uh, would not uh, want to segregate. As a matter of fact, the, there's a study done by my colleague Jennifer Roback on the trolley car systems in, in uh, various southern cities. And the, uh, the trolley cars, they were privately owned, and the trolley car companies did not want to segregate 
because they did not want to offend their black passengers. What it took to get to, to get the uh, trolley car segregated, you know, separate seating, uh, were, were laws. That's that what was necessary. And so, uh, I think that that it's very very important to recognize that uh, you know to recognize this phenomenon. That is, when you see a law in the books, you have to guess that people, uh, not everybody, would behave according to specifications of the law. Yeah, it, it's interesting. A lot of people, when you hear about the Jim Crow South, they forget that it was actually the Jim Crow laws, the, as, you, as you point out. I, I read an article about a week ago that talked about how, how Sears was the, the Amazon of its time, the Sears catalog. And I know that I was watching the, the documentary that uh, Suffer No Fools and that you had a, a job at, at Sears at one point. And uh, interesting that, that they were successful in a lot of ways because the catalog couldn't tell if you, were, if you, if you were, were, were black or white when it was shipping the goods to you. That's right. That's right. See, that is uh, uh, people. That, that, that's, that's one of the great benefits of the market. That is, uh, uh, when you buy something, uh, you don't you don't care who made it. You don't care about the color or the sex or the nationality who made it. All you want is that the, for the product to do what it says it's going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Professor Williams, this is a, my segment has flown by with you. I want to thank you for being on the show. But right now we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes and previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Professor Walter E. Williams. And, Professor, you wrote your autobiography, Up From the Projects, published in 2010, it was just fascinating um, reading about your boyhood and the difference in, in, in the time then and, and now. 
and everything that's happened in between. But I, one thing really struck me, you talked about your old professor, Armin Alchin, and he used to ask a question about why cities build things like the Golden Gate Bridge when a military bridge would work just as well and be a heck of a lot cheaper and used to stump students. And when they asked him for the answer, he said, well, I don't know. I thought you'd know. Do do you have now an answer for that? Why do we build the Sydney Opera House and the Golden Gate Bridge rather than just putting up more utilitarian, efficient structures? response to uh, Alshin was uh, that um, in order to build a bridge that can handle 100,000 truck tons per hour, you, you, you can't avoid uh, having uh, durability as one of the, uh, uh, one of the uh, byproducts of it. And he just kind of chuckled. He said, well, during World War II, we had pontoon bridges and, and tanks went over, heavy tanks and trucks went over. <laughs> so anyway, towards the, I guess about three weeks uh, into the uh, discussion, because he'd asked that question at the beginning of the class, <clears throat> and we spent about five minutes on it. And so one student said, well, why? He says he didn't know. <laughs> and so I think that one of the things that, uh, that Armin Alshin taught is, uh, is you don't have to know the answer to the question, but you have to kind of know how to go about finding the answer. And as of yet, I have not found the answer. And since I'm perhaps getting old and uh, I'm, I'm thinking about that maybe altruism might explain it. That is, people might indeed care about future generations. And I'm not absolutely sure about that. But, right, right. Or, but or Armin was a very tenacious mentor of mine, and, I, and, and he used to pick on me uh, in class. He'd just kind of come into class and while he's fumbling around getting his notes together. And he would say, Williams, I bet you don't know, blah, 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 blah. And, and <laughs> nine times out of ten, I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a very challenging uh, and and he's probably and he's probably the best uh microeconomist of the 20th century. Mm. And he just yeah. come out with a well he Armand Alshin's dead but but his uh colleague uh, Bill Allen uh they just come out with a a book called Universal Economics and I highly recommend it it's just come out and it's published by Liberty Fund. And uh, and a former student uh, of theirs is uh, Jerry Jordan. He did the editing, and it's really worthwhile reading. And as I suggested in a recent syndicated column, if you know, if you can find out all the answers, or if you can understand the answers and questions at the end of each chapter, you'll probably be better trained than most economists in the world. Wow! Wow! I'll have to check that out. I always, I always take your book recommendations very, very seriously and try and read them. In 1989, you published a book, South Africa's War Against Capitalism, which is it, it sounded like an ironic title at the time. And I know it's hard to do that book justice because it is such a thought-provoking book. But what would you say is the biggest misperception about apartheid? Well, uh, you know, one of the things, that, and I got the name for the title. I was getting, when and back in 1980. I've been to South Africa several times, but some, but in 1980. I was there with my wife and daughter for three months, and I lectured at just about every university in South Africa. And at one university, at Fort Hare, was a, I was giving a lecture on industrial economics, and one of the students, one of the black students, it was an all-black school, uh, and uh, one of the students said, I'm, for, uh, I'm against capitalism, I'm for socialism. Well, I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you believe you ought to be free to live wherever you want to? 
You say, yeah. Do you believe you do you believe you ought to be free to make uh, <coughs> make contracts with uh, employers? He say, yeah. Uh, do you think you ought to be free to go into various restaurants? He said, "Yeah." And so I said, "Well, you're really for capitalism, and you're you're get and what your apartheid is socialism." And unfortunately, a lot of people identify <laughs> apartheid with capitalism, and that's a gross uh, uh, error. That's a gross mistake. And so, and so the the book and I focus on labor markets, and I show how uh, many people, uh, many white South Africans. They violated many laws to hire blacks. Now, it wasn't because they loved blacks, but because blacks would work at a cheaper rate. That is, economics tends to bring people to their senses whether they resist it or not. And so, um, so that's, that's, hence I, that's how I got the uh, title for the, uh, for the book, South Africa's War Against Capitalism. And, and what, some of the things that, that, that at the time, they were just really unknown. People just didn't know. But South Africa is a country... And it had problems with its borders, on its borders, just like we have with Mexico, people trying to get into the country. And here, <laughs> all these blacks trying to get into South Africa uh, from, uh, from Mozambique and from Zimbabwe, and you say, well, why? Why would these people go from black-ruled countries to uh, an apartheid system? And the reason was is that they, had a higher, they, they, they could achieve a higher standard of living and live better. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And, and and speaking of that, speaking of immigration, what would be your policy, your preferred policy for this country's immigration? Well, I, I think that uh, that our country has always benefited from uh, immigration, but it's been it's been legal. And I think that uh, we, we should establish uh, rules and regulations that people just cannot come into this country uh, illegally. But more, but more importantly than that, that is, for most of our history, people migrated to the United States to become Americans. They, they left much of their problems and issues back, uh, you know, behind in their own country. Now you find people who come to our country, who want to bring the failed systems of the past that they fled. They want to bring, many of them want to bring Sharia law. They want to have a genital mutilation. Uh, they, uh, they believe in honor killings. And they, or they want the ballots uh, uh, written in, in Chinese or, or Korean or Spanish. And, and people in the past came here. They came here to learn the English language and to become Americans. Today, uh, you find that uh, many people come here, uh, and they, they don't want to become Americans. And matter of fact, they have contempt for the American values. You, know, a lot, you, you can see flags, you can you probably see flags at, at some predominantly Mexican schools in, South, in, the, in, in the Southern California, and they're flying the Mexican flag above the American flag. Or they or they are burned. You know, immigrants come to our country and and have demonstrations and burn the American flag. We didn't see this in the past when the Chinese and Japanese and Italian and Irish and Jews would come to our country. They came here to become Americans, and that's what I would like to see happen to immigration laws. That is, you require people to come here, learn the language. You know, there's something to be said about the old statement: of "When in Rome, do as the Romans do," and that's what we ought to tell immigrants. Would would you be for more legal immigration? Yes, yes, yeah, that is. 
we, we, we you know, uh, labor has always been relatively uh, dear in our country. And we have a lot of room to accommodate more people in our country. But we want, to, we, we want them to come here legally. And so, yes, uh, to your question, I would support uh, more legal uh, immigration. Do you favor a point system or maybe even a lottery where we, not a lottery, but charging people to come into the country? Well, I think we should bring people in our country who benefit our country. That is, we have to ask, we, we, don't, we don't have to, we, we shouldn't ask the question, are we going to benefit the immigrants who are coming here? The main question, are the immigrants going to contribute to, the, the, to our country, to, to, to continue to the great, you know, contribute to the greatness of our country? That's the question that we should ask. Right, right. You know, when I saw you at the Independent Institute, Professor, you you talked about your daughters standing over your coffin crying, and then somebody came up to him and said, well, we'll give you 20000 for his heart, and, and they stopped crying and said, well, he's got two good eyes, too. I still laugh my head off about that. Do, do you think we'll ever see a market for organs? Well, and, and, and for some organs, we do. Not, not organs, but we see... We see a market for um, for hair. We see a market for uh, some some other for other body parts. And I would like to see a market for for organs. That is, uh, it, 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 the question of ownership. How can you tell whether you own something? Well, you can tell whether you whether you own it is uh, the test of whether you own it is whether you can sell it. That is, my kidneys they belong to me. And so if you assume. Now, now, of course, if my kidneys belong to the United States Cong- Congress, then I, I don't have a right to sell them. I'm, I don't have a right to sell something that belongs to somebody else. But if they belong to me, I have the right to sell them, in my opinion. Right. And, and I, I just find it completely ironic that Iran is a country that allows this. And here in the capitalist United States, we do not. Yeah. And, and, the, and part of the tragedy is is that the the people many people die on waiting lists for livers and kidneys and and other organs and and they would not die on wait waiting lists if we had a market for it that is if there if there were a market for people to sell organs uh then then uh, they, they we would probably would not have that uh, much of a short that much of a shortage as we have now right you you and dr soul have taught me that uh, a shortage is usually not has nothing to do with the physical nature of the of the good. It's it's more it's the price is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the wrong price. And so when you tell people we like to we like to have your kidney, Williams, uh, but we're going to give you zero. Well, then, <laughs> then I'm going to be thinking twice about that. Well, like you always write about, if you if if we had to rely on people just based on their altruism. We we probably wouldn't leave a very you know materially wealthy life. That's um, right. Better... And, and matter of, and I asked this question. Suppose you had to depend on on automobiles or clothing or housing or on on altruism. Uh, well, no people say, oh, you just can't do that. We no, we 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 just uh, start, but they expect for altruism to determine the allocation of, uh, of organs, one of the most important things that a person uh, might need in his life. He might, a kid, the kidney might be the most important thing that a person would need, and we're expecting him to depend on the altruism of others. And by the way, uh, 
uh, everybody else in the transplant industry, they get a whole lot of money. The doctors who do transplants, the hospitals that do transplants, and everybody else involved except the donor. Right. No, that's a fantastic point. I, and so many people die each year waiting for these vital organs. I just, it, it seems like such a useless and wasteless, wasteful tragedy, you know, for this to happen just because we're, we've got some moral qualms about selling body parts. Um, Dr. Williams, I know we're at the top of the hour. Just one last real quick question. If you had a meeting with President Trump, what would be one piece of economic advice you'd give him? Well, I, I would tell him that uh, that the, the, his, his trade policy needs uh, leaves a lot to be desired, and that is, uh, I think that is foolish policy. For uh, that is, if one country, let's say Canada, if it rips off its consumers by keeping U.S. milk out of the country, thereby enriching uh, dairy producers in Canada. That is, if Canada screws its citizens by forcing them to pay higher prices of milk, I don't think that we should retaliate against Canada by, by uh, Trump screwing Americans, forcing us to pay higher prices for lumber, you know, the tariffs that, that he put on, on the Canadian lumber in our country. And it's very much like, uh, it's, it, you know, I, I, I've suggested in terms of international trade the following example I got from Milton Friedman, and he says if, if, if we're at sea in a boat, a rowboat, and you shoot a hole in your end of the boat, what's the appropriate response of my, of me, for me? Should I shoot in a hole in my end of the boat? And so I love what, that. That's what a lot of trade policy does. Uh, uh, one country screws its citizens by having tariffs, and we retaliate by screwing Americans by having tariffs. Right, right. Well, Professor, thank you so much. We want to honor your going just to the bottom of the hour. And thanks so much for staying a couple minutes longer with us. And and thank you again for appearing on the solo. Okay, Enterprise. thank you. And I enjoyed the show. Thank you very right. much. Bye. Keep up the great work. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, Ed, this was great. And now, folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to send Ed or myself an email, send it to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S-O-E. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back here on The Soul of Enterprise. Ron, wow, huh? Professor Walter Williams. What a great birthday present. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You're going to have to send a really big bottle of wine to top that. That's that's a tough one to top, to be able to <laughs> chat with uh, Professor Williams, even for 15 minutes. It's, uh, yeah. It's always an yeah. honor. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was thinking about it. Do, do, I bet neither one of us could have ever gotten to him when he was sitting in for Limbaugh. So this was our way of <laughs> <laughs> You, you know, he used to sit in for Limbaugh, and he was and he was really good. I mean, you know, which has got to be intimidating by itself, talking to 20-some-odd million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially when you're not, you know, that's not your regular profession. But he used to talk about, you know, we're here pushing back the boundaries of ignorance. And, uh, <laughs> and then he used to bring um, Thomas Sowell on. And they they spent a whole entire hour together just talking about various things. Mm-hmm. And he did that every time he guest host. And it was just phenomenal because, you know, Seoul doesn't give long interviews either. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but no, it was really uh, it was really great. Yeah. Well, and while you mention that, we'll have to, to pair it up. Those of you who who are listening to the show and and perhaps don't know, we did interview uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell, and I think it was he in our first group of thirteen, Ron. It, yeah, I'm pretty sure he might have been in the group, first group of five because it was in December, I think, of 2014. Okay, okay, December of 2014. Okay, so that well, that would have been after our first uh, quarter. So yeah, so it was, it was the first half year that we did it anyway. Yeah, he might have been our fourth guest, maybe fifth. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but, yeah, and and that was only a half hour or so too, but. Um, that was just amazing because he doesn't do much at all in terms of interviews, especially radio. No, no. And I, and I remember it, well, and you, I think you listen to the shows a little bit more frequently than I do, but I remember, he, you know, he, his first couple of answers were pretty terse. And that was back in the day when we would go back and forth interviewing yes. somebody. We wouldn't, we didn't take the, like the segments, you know, the way right, that we do right. now we, that we didn't find that cadence until later. And I, and I think we were going back and forth and you were on first and he was kind of given some short terse answers. And then I, I don't know, I asked him about the baseball thing. And then after, after that, he just kind of bloomed. Lit up. <laughs> <laughs> told, he told that great story about, about missing a home run by a foot. But yeah, by an inch. Remember that? By, by, yeah. No, by a foot, by a foot. <laughs> he said, what'd you hit a single, a, a triple, double? double? Yeah, no, no, no. I missed it by a foot. I missed the ball completely by a foot. 
Yeah. No, I struck out. <laughs> I struck out. He said, "Yeah, I have listened to that show. A few, I have listened to that show a few times. It was great." And he also talked about the camera, you know, because he's a camera bug. He's a photography bug. If you go on his website, he's got a whole section of, of pictures he's taken of Yosemite and the Stanford campus and just other you know places that he's been, and he's uh, quite quite a good photographer, but. He's really into the photography equipment and yep. very well versed on the Germans and, you know, all the different equipment. And he talked about that a little bit, too. So it was really interesting. But I'll tell you, uh, Walter Williams, he's I know he's written 10 books. I've I've only got I've read five of them. Um, some of them are, uh, a, you know, compendium of his articles because sure. he's a nationally syndicated artist. Uh, writer and 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 he's yeah, I think he throws in some essays too maybe that he's written for you know longer like in Forbes or something, um, but they're phenomenal. But his autobiography Ed up from the projects, which really talks about his you know his whole life. He grew up in the same uh, project housing that uh, that Bill Cosby did, so they grew up yep. together. And uh, I, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to ask. No, 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 no. We don't need but... to go there. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but he talks about being, you know, court-martialed in the army. He got, <laughs> he got. Now he beat the rap. He was, he was proved innocent. But yeah, they've got the court-martial papers in here. For, <laughs> and, wow. and he talks about first meeting, um, you know, Doctor Soul and how they became best friends and. Uh, his his heading out west to L.A. UCLA to you know study. Um, initially, he wanted to be he wanted to go into sociology. He took a couple classes and said, "This sucks. It's not for me." And he got into economics instead. So, yeah, and 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 a lot of that run is in in the documentary that I mentioned with him that suffer no fools. Right. And right, so right. They, you know they did That's that true. is really talked a lot about his life as well. So and he's and he's first. First or second cousins with with uh, Doctor J. Did mm. you know that? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I saw yeah. that. Too. I saw Suffer No Fools, but it was a while ago, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Two thousand eleven. It's. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll put a link up to it. It's on. For, it's on for the Free to Choose Free Network. To choose. No, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, here's a copyright. Two thousand fourteen. Okay. Two thousand fourteen. Because so. I do remember watching that when it came out, and. Uh, yep. He also did a great interview, as we were talking to him about on the break or, or before we went live, with Mark Levin. And, in fact, it was Mark Levin's first show, uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox News, um, which comes on, I think, Sunday night. But, you know, they spent a whole hour together, and it was just – you know, he's just fearless, Ed. He's just fearless, and he, he speaks his mind. And just like your question to him about, you know, the right to associate, mm-hmm, right, and mm-hmm. free speech, I mean – he he would have no qualms uh, telling um, a business that they can't you know if, if the owner didn't want to serve blacks or or religious people or whoever Trump voters or yeah you know, fine let them it's private property it's th- they're free to do that and um and, and and I you know I agree with that that's why I'm I'm I I hold those views because he's really persuaded me about that yeah you got to be tough freedom's tough it's not for wimps. Yep. There's no, no safe spaces and freedom. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and it's, and it's not the natural condition is, is the other part of it. But, you know, I, I and I, I made the point with him 
which I was glad to, to bring out because I've talked a lot about this with different people on Facebook. I actually would prefer it because then, as I said, bigots would self-identify and then I could avoid them. That's right. right? So you if they had know. a little sign in there that said, we don't serve uh, name, right? <laughs> but yeah. whatever. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Irish, Catholic, Muslim, uh, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Can I and, find the next door, please? <laughs> and, and I'm not just talking about the zeitgeist of the time. I think even if you rolled back 30 or 40 years, that would piss most people off and they wouldn't do business with them. It would be a dumb business move. Exactly. And th- there's a there's a very subtle point that he made when he was talking about the Jim Crow laws. And this is something that is often missed. And I didn't get a chance. Well, I, t- I talked about it, but I didn't get a chance to explain because we just didn't have time. A lot of people don't don't realize but they and in fact the term keeps changing we keep talking about now about the jim crow south but it's right. the jim crow laws these right. the the the, the, the lunch the lunch the lunch counters the 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 you know quote separate but equal these these were government laws in these states yep right it, it wasn't it wasn't that that businesses were were all into oh yeah let me make sure that I you know keep separate counters for my my for for, for my, my my black customers they didn't want to do it well I, I suppose some of them did I suppose there were some of them who you know who were racists right but why would they want that extra expense a lot of them didn't want it I, I, I I'm pretty exactly. sure that that one of the major hotel chains and I, I don't quote me on this but I think it was like Holiday Inn. They 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 were a big uh, filed a big amicus brief or whatever it is to, to support the 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 Civil Rights Act specifically because of that public accommodations they wanted to be able to open their their chain to to um, to people of color they they wanted absolutely. to absolutely absolutely I can't think of a business that would want to duplicate you know lunch counters and bathrooms and I mean. Not only the added expense, but but just turning away customers, you know, their money, all the money is green. That mm-hmm. that's kind of what the businesses, you know, think about. And yep. yeah, it, it 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 is so poorly understood. Um, the other thing that's really poorly understood that he points out, and 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 Thomas Sowell has written so much about this as well. But he talks about in the '40s and '50s, the black unemployment rate was slightly lower than whites. And black teens were more active in the labor force. They had a higher participation rate. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly, discrimination wasn't any less back then. No. So what you know? What explains that? And of course, he goes right to minimum wages. Um, you know, things like the Davis Bacon Act. He's, you know, Dr. Williams has proven that that was, uh, you know, largely to uh, <laughs> keep the blacks out of the unions. You know, you talk about a racist law. Davis mm-hmm. Bacon and some of the other laws. I mean, you can go look at the congressional testimony, uh, some of which he you know, quotes in his books and articles. It's disgusting. Yeah, this was a just a blatant, you know, way to keep you know, quote unquote, scabs, right? Mm-hmm. People who were willing to work for less, in this case, blacks, uh, you know, make it illegal to hire them. Yep. Yep. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right, Ron, we're up against our last break here. Want to remind you, you can get in touch with Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Certainly want to remind people about our Patreon site, uh, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 
T-S-O-E, where you can go listen to the show commercial-free, as well as our bonus episodes. And we'll do another one after our episode today with uh, Walter Williams. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We just did a great uh, half the show with Dr. Walter Williams, one of my all-time mentors. Ed, that was just fantastic. And uh, before we get to the topic that you want to talk about, I just want to mention one more thing. You know, it's it's from his autobiography up from the projects that I got that thought experiment about why, you know, why we don't build uh, military bridges. You know, we put up the Golden Gate or the London Bridge or whatever, right? All these really expensive bridges that require a ton of upkeep, very expensive. Why do we do that? And he said, well, because we care about future generations. I think that's part of it. I think that that that's a good yeah. point. Um, but I also think there's more to life than efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the military bridge, obviously efficient, but it's, you know, it's it's not aesthetically pleasing. It doesn't do anything for the city. I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge is a landmark. People flock to it around the world. Um, so there's that, you know, there's that aspirational, there's that status, the aesthetics. You know, it, it goes back to the soul of enterprise. I mean, it goes back to the soul. There's more to life than just material progress and efficiency. Well, sure. And, and you know, one of, one of the things that... It, it, when I've seen you, you present that when you talk about that, <clears throat> excuse me. And one of the the other things I think is missing from that is the military bridge goes flat over the water because that's what it's there to do, right? To get the, the get 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 you from A to B, 
Right. Right. Um, the, the Golden Gate and, and other suspension brids also had had this. Well, we've also got to get ships under this sucker. Well, well, you could raise a you could raise a military bridge up. Uh, yeah, but the suspension bridge is 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 probably one of the most efficient ways to do that because you don't have to go you don't have to drive all of the pilings uh, all the way into the to the water every whatever six feet, right? Well, maybe I, I I don't know. I mean, they they had to have some military bridges over water at some point, you know, that were suspensioned or, or that were raised up to get things underneath them as well. I would imagine. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but the, your point is still valid. I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying that, that, that there is something in the design of a suspension bridge. You still, you still made the golden gate beautiful, right? I mean, there were suspension right, right. bridges yeah. built, built in New York at the time, the white stone and the throgs neck that are nothing to look at. I've driven over them hundreds of times. <laughs> Yeah, there's right. some pretty ugly bridges, and then there's some pretty beautiful ones. Yeah, and yeah, I'm the the difference, right? Why, why, do, why would we spend more on something that was non-utilitarian? Right, right, right. and the try the yeah, the, you know. But anyway, but yeah, let's 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 talk a little bit about. I mean, we're we're, we're turning this into a in a sense of a, a a pre preview of a free rider Friday, but that that's okay because we got there's a lot going on with the U.S. election and uh, apologies to our international audience here but it's it's dominating what's going on uh, oh they're the, probably the, following it yeah no i know because we we have we we do the best we do the best baseball and the best politics yeah right there is a reason why it's and you know with, with all apologies to our friend john chisholm there's a reason why it's called the world series and it's only played in the united states well i guess in canada too occasionally but it's not cricket it's not cricket <laughs> yeah no it's not and because it's still the world series though um Anyway, uh, but we do we do we do do political parties pretty well. I, I will I will give us that. Not that that's necessarily a great thing to to pat ourselves on the back on, but I, I think Professor Williams is a little bit out of date with his his data on immigration. Okay, because tell me, because tell me how. Why? yeah, because 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 most most immigrants that are coming to this this country are assimilating. And you could argue that they aren't assimilating at as fast a rate as those that came previously, but there's open data on that as well. There's there's a lot of people like you know I had the advantage in my family of of being from Ireland, where at least for the most part they spoke English, <laughs> right? Right. But but I have I have friends back in New York that you know their 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 grandparents or great grandparents they never learned English, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. They never. They came here in in their when they were in and not and might have been in the twenties and thirties too. But they came later in life and never never learned the language all that much, right? But yet their children and grandchildren sure did, right? Right. Um. And that and that that is happening for sure. I mean, I, I I just just see it in the neighborhoods around around where I am. Yeah. The the the, the kids. The kids pick up the kids pick up English because they're talking with other kids, whether or not they're in in the English as a second language classes or not. Well, I hope you're right, Ed, because I, you know, as you know, I mean, if you don't speak the language in the country you're in, you're you're at a severe economic disadvantage if you can't communicate with connect with people, right? And and um, I, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I I know I've seen that data too. I've heard Cato cite that and others. Um, mm-hmm. and I've also seen data that runs to the contrary. So I, you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't know enough about it to know. And I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even sure it's one of those things, by the way, that can be that accurately measured. So mm-hmm. I take all those 
statistics with a grain of salt. But, um, you know, when I asked him about legal immigration, I think we can all agree that legal immigration, I don't think this country would have a problem stepping it up. No. You and, know, and, and increasing I, it. Yeah. And I proposed on on Facebook this week. I my, my I have a four four point plan for this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first three are basically the what I call the Ellis Island trio, which is be free of communicable diseases. Yep. Right. Not have been convicted of a violent crime in your home country. Yep. Right. And have and have a place to stay. Yeah. Right. And then right. I've added a, a, added the fourth. And this is really to counterbalance the people who say, well, it's, it, we, we can't have people here who just immediately go on welfare, which that's another data point, but we can get to. But uh, the fourth is you 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 promise that or or not promise, but you, it, it is understood that you do not qualify for any public assistance programs and, you know, red red uh, entitlements um, unless you're, unless you're in the country for 10 years and 10 years, I'll right. negotiate, I'll negotiate that 10 years down or, you know, perhaps, up, right. but, so, but, right, right. but some, some period of time that makes sense to say, look, you're not going to qualify this. And then, you know, a couple of people brought up uh, some interesting points is, well, what about the kids in the school system? Is that taking, mm-hmm. is that, is that taking the, is that taking public assistance? I'm, I'm like, well, no, sorry, I'm not going to qualify that. And you know, way, way, way having an uned, uneducated kid against one who comes here and is educated. I mean, it's pretty clear. Yeah, I, I'd be less concerned about that if it was a voucher system. But yeah, I mean, we're yeah. still paying yeah. for the voucher system. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but hopefully these immigrants would pay taxes. But I can tell you the whole Ellis Island thing. I mean, I, when I took that tour of the immigration um, uh, museum over in Brenham, uh, Bremen, Bremen, uh, Germany, which is uh-huh. like where one third the port of Bremen, uh, it was like one third of the Europeans left from that port to, you know, to Ellis Island, basically back in yeah. the day. And, you know, they had they had a doctor on board and he gave everybody a rigorous medical exam. Because like you said, if you had a communicable disease, they would check under your eyes. They would check mm-hmm. for all sorts of things. They'd also make you run up and downstairs to see if you were winded. And they had a doctor on board, Ed, because of the incentive structure. If mm-hmm. the doctor, if, if you, if you failed on the boat, he wouldn't let you go into Ellis Island. You, they kept you on the boat, uh, because if they, or, or they wouldn't let you on board, you know, in Europe, be, uh, because I think they pre-screened them too, before they let them go on, but they gave him another exam, I think during the journey, but either way, if, if they let you out on Ellis and Ellis failed you and put you back on the boat, the, the ship shipping company had to pay their own expense to bring you back. Right. So they had an incentive to to pre-screen people before they dropped them on Ellis, basically, you know, kind of right. like the Australian convict, you know, we'll pay you for the number of prisoners who show up alive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I do remember because uh, they, they had a little replica of, uh, you know, Grand Central Station and, and, and the um, Ellis Island and all that where the, the processing center and they had a computer screen. They gave you a test and they said, you know, answer the following questions. I failed. And got sent back. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> so you're not qualified to enter. <laughs> but they did ask all those things. You, you, do you have relatives you can stay with or friends? Do you have a job? Do you have money in your pocket? You know, those types of questions were asked. I've got a list of them. But anyway, right. Ed, we're out of time. What's, what's on store for next week? 
Well, next week, Ron, we are uh, really excited that we're going to be talking uh, about the uh, business model innovation that we believe of the future, and that is the subscription model. So we look forward to talking about that. Fantastic. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.